Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. What you need to know is Andrew Card uh, provided public service to the nation across numerous presidencies, including as a young kid out of Massachusetts, wandering into the Reagan White House. And we're thrilled that Andy Card could join us this morning. Andy, what was your first day like under the purview of President Reagan? Oh, it was tremendous excitement. I, re I remember, first of all, uh, everybody was chipper. They had a wonderful attitude, and there, there was, it was a very positive experience from day one because people welcomed you. There was a celebration of our great democracy, and uh, Ronald Reagan was a great communicator, not only with the public. He was a great communicator with his staff. So he made you feel as if right. you were very much part of the game, and he encouraged you to be candid with him and not to take his word as if it was gospel. With what you observed yesterday, is it the reaffirmation of a Republican Reaganism, or did the Reagan era die yesterday in this unrest? Well, yesterday was a very sad day for our democracy. It was I was in tears. And it troubles me because I'm also the chairman of the National Endowment for Democracy, which Ronald Reagan founded almost 35 years ago. And it was amazing for, for me to be part of the effort of creating a climate where democracy was going to be spread all around the world. And we were the shining example. We were the city on the hill. And today we have tarnished. Our democracy is tarnished and the world is looking at us and say, this is not right. Maybe democracy isn't the right way to go. Well, it is the right way to go. And we've got to get everybody in America. I don't care whether you're left or right, up or down. Get involved and help polish our democracy. Let's restore confidence in our institutions of democracy and polish them so that the world will recognize it's the right way to go. We don't want autocracies or kleptocracies or communism. We want the people to have a say. That was reaffirmed last night. The speeches on the floor of the House and the Senate after the dust kind of settled and the Congress got back to doing its constitutional business were remarkable speeches. They were saying, polish right. our democracy. The people spoke. We have a new president. He's going to take the oath of office. And we know that as a fact. It's not a fraud. It's a fact. Andy, who is the leader of the Republican Party today? Well, first of all, Donald Trump stole the Republican Party. So, yes, he used and abused it. Um, I don't know who the leader of our party was is today. I do look at the kind of the former leaders of the party speaking up to say, do a little soul searching and take a look at what's been happening and see where you want to go. But I think it started with the speeches in the Senate last night, uh, where many senators kind of acknowledged the angst of America at the same time, they said what happened yesterday was not good for our democracy. We're much better than that, and we can do it. So I think the party is it's going to be it's going to be struggling right now. We're going to have to struggle. But I look at outstanding governors like Charlie Baker and Chris Sununu. They're steady. They've done a great job even in the midst of the pandemic. And Charlie Baker is in a Democratic state, Massachusetts, and he's doing a remarkable job of leading. And and I think those. People, those leaders help give definition to the, what it means to be a Republican. Well, I'm a proud Republican. I was not a Trump Republican. Okay, you're a proud Republican. With the soul searching that you're talking about, what will people find? What is the current soul of the Republican Party? Well, first of all, I hope that it's a respect for institutions, 
a respect for democracy. You know, when I got involved in politics, the rug of American politics had more rug than fringe. Today, it has more fringe than rug. You really can't govern unless you find your way to stand on the rug and invite people to be part of a solution. And I think that's what we have to look for. Mm -hmm. Which of our leaders today are looking to be part of a solution, not part of a problem? And that's, that's right. what we have to look for, and I think we can find it. Andrew Card, I think of the images across centuries of photographs, I think, say, of Queen Mary and the young Queen Elizabeth and the, uh, the George VI funeral. You are part of one of the most famous photos in history, that of your whisper in the ear of President Bush on September 11th. If you were to whisper into the ear of President Trump this morning, what would you say? Be humble, acknowledge reality, celebrate our Constitution and our great democracy, and celebrate how many votes you got even though you didn't win. You got the second most number of votes of anybody who ever ran for president. Unfortunately for you, Joe Biden got even more votes. But he had, our democracy showed up in unbelievable numbers on election day in 2020. And we should be celebrating that. A record number of right. people showed up to vote. And, and yes, Donald Trump did not win. He lost. But he got a remarkable number of votes, and Joe Biden got even more votes, and that turned right. into an electoral college victory that made the difference. Andy Card, your comment on uh, the gentleman from Belmont, Mass., Governor Romney's speech yesterday on the Senate floor. I tell you, I'm, I've always been a fan of Mitt Romney. I thought he has been a, a, a real steady person who celebrates our democracy and invites me to be part of the solution. I was very proud of Mitt Romney yesterday. One final question very quickly, unfortunately. Mr. Card, where's the common ground that you have with Howard Dean of the Democrats? Look, I've known Governor Dean for a long time, all the way back when he first became governor of Vermont, and I have great respect for him. You know, he and I have a lot of reason to disagree on policy, but we both celebrate the great country we live in, and I actually like Howard Dean and get along well with him. But I do remember talking to him literally the day that he became the governor of New Hampshire. I mean, the governor of Vermont. and and. Uh, followed with great interest when he was running for president. And remember, he was a, a rocket out of the launch pad, but he, he didn't was. quite make it away. Andy Carr, thank you so much for joining us. A former uh, chief of staff for President uh, Bush, thrilled to have him in to give Republican perspective. An historic 24 hours, and to get perspective, it is important to speak to all. There is justice, there is a Supreme Court, the House, we've had any number of legislative types today, and the executive branch. And then there is the Pentagon. James Stravitas has served the nation as an admiral with NATO. We're thrilled that he could join us uh, this morning. Admiral Stravitas, there was in the misty memory a president who wanted a Fourth of July parade with tanks in the street off of the French parade of Macron and others. I've actually witnessed the French parade. It's something to behold. Yesterday, selected Americans were looking for tanks in the street to defend the Capitol. Explain the Pentagon's relationship with the various police forces of our nation's capital. Let's start with the fact that the Capitol is defended by the Capitol Police, which report to the federal government. And then within the District of Columbia, of course, you have the D.C. Metropolitan Police, 
And the deep backup, Tom, as I'm sure you know, is the D.C. National Guard. So there's sort of three layers of yep. uh, policing and security that should have been far better aware than they were. What you saw yesterday was a massive failure, uh, I would say, at a 9-11 level. At a 9-11 level, and there's a Hollywood movies of helicopters overhead, and somebody that looks a lot like handsome James Stravitas comes to the rescue. <laughs> Yesterday wasn't Hollywood. What was the optionality that the Pentagon had? They were waiting for direction from the commander-in-chief. Because of the unique status of the District of Columbia, not a state, normally a, a state governor could call his or her uh, state guard in to quell a riot, and that's what we had. Uh, unfortunately, it had to come from the commander-in-chief who dithered all day. By all accounts, ultimately, it was the vice president of the United States who ordered the acting secretary of defense to deploy the D.C. Guard. So President Trump was clearly not only inciting the riot, but then missing an action and trying to resolve it. Admiral, with your global experience, how do you think our foes around the world, those that Good would question. you know, not uh, wish us well, how did they view yesterday? Oh, high fives. Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, Pyongyang, Caracas, greatest day in recent dictator history watching this unfold. And I'll give you two specifics to be aware of. Please. Uh, Russia will be leveraging this for intelligence gathering inside the United States, uh, and they will seek to prolong this agony uh, by getting into the social networks, getting into our cyber nets, as we saw them do just uh, recently in the FireEye hack. Uh, China, I think, unfortunately, may miscalculate and decide this might be a good time to do something pretty dramatic in Asia. Could that be uh, leaning in very hard on Taiwan? Could it be further crackdowns in Hong Kong? They just rounded up yet another round of the protesters in Hong Kong. Makes it uh, pretty difficult for us as we turn to our allies, partners, and friends to generate uh, a team that can stand in the face of this when we can't even defend our own capital. It's a disgraceful day for the United States. So, Admiral, the average serviceman or woman serving on the high seas or some far-flung army post, how do you think they're processing what they saw yesterday? Many of them are just you know, kind of waking up and seeing the images. Well, let's face one fundamental fact about those in the armed forces. They are volunteers who swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States to support and defend that Constitution. What they saw yesterday was a blatant attempt by tens of thousands of rioters incited by the president to interrupt that constitutional process. It's very significant that this occurred not just on any given Tuesday, but on the day mm -hmm. in which we're certifying the Democratic uh, results of the entirely legitimate election. So I think the average serviceman and woman is shaking their head in disbelief at this threat to the Constitution. I know they are, in fact. And one final question. I need an update, Admiral, on your thoughts is uh, the nomination of General Lloyd Austin moves forward to be defense secretary. Some controversy there. You've written about it. Give us an update. Um, he will be confirmed. Uh, we ought to, as a general proposition, look for 
uh, individuals to lead the Department of Defense who have been out of uniform for a long time. But General Austin brings a great deal of experience in the Middle East. I know him personally extremely well. He's a rock-solid professional. He will be confirmed. Um, we need to get the new team in place across the board as quickly as possible. The next 13 days are going to be dangerous for this country until we do. James Travitas, thank you so much. Admiral Travitas, of course, with, uh, among others, the Carlisle Group. I can't say enough about his books. Maybe it's a good time after what we saw yesterday yes. to yes, look at his leader's bookshop, uh, bookshelf, rather. It was a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful set of about 50 books from people like General Austin as well. The divides between the good senator from Texas and the gentleman from New York State, Cruz and Schumer, going at it yesterday. I'm sure many of you on radio and TV observe so much of this moment. Just extraordinary, the back and forth, and of course, off camera, some real emotions. Someone used to the emotion of politics is Kathy Hochul. She's from Buffalo, New York. She is the lieutenant governor of New York and joins us from a lockdown New York City as well. Governor Hochul, we have not touched the pandemic since about 3 p.m. yesterday afternoon. How locked down is your New York City right now? Well, basically, I would say the restaurants are still not open. We have, I had outdoor dining last night, had a hamburger on a street next to a heater. So that is available to people who are hungry. Uh, not ideal, but it's in recognition that we're doing everything we can to keep the infection rate down. As you just see, you know, neighboring states, we're surrounded mm-hmm. by states where the numbers continue <clears throat> to go up. Uh, you know, really right. can't go to a Broadway play. You're not going right. to go to any mass <clears throat> gatherings. But I didn't get the sense of lockdown because people are still working here. It's still, you know, still a live city. So I, right. I, think, I think lockdown overstates where we are right now. Lieutenant Governor, we cannot ignore Washington. Matthew Pottinger reti- re- resigning near midnight from the Trump White House. And moments ago, CNBC uh, mentioning that Mr. Mulvaney will resign from a Trump administration. You are in the executive branch. When you de-people an executive branch, Lieutenant Governor, how do you move forward? You just hold on. You have people around you who hopefully put the interests of this country first and do everything they can to personally contain Donald Trump until sanity reigns once again in this country and Joe Biden takes his oath of office on January 20th. We have to get to that date. It seems like an eternity from now, but if we can just get the people around him who understand the severity of what he's done, inciting people to riot and leading an insurrection, they have to understand that there's, there are consequences in our country. We have a constitution that must be adhered to. So I am an executive branch. And this will never happen in the state of New York because we would never elect someone uh, who is as destructive of our democracy as someone like Donald Trump. But that's what happened. Uh, he lost the election. I think that's the message around the world. He did not win. And in just a few short weeks, we're going to have Democrats who have uh, who put the Constitution first, apparently, over what Republicans are doing, running the Senate, running the House, and now running the White House. So How we much? have a, a era that's going to allow us to sweep clean. Uh, all the vestiges of Donald Trump and what he has done to our nation. Kathy, how much will a Senator Schumer-led Senate help in the New York State budget, the New York State prospects going forward? Unbelievably. It's going to be great, Lisa. And what we talked about, you and I had this conversation, uh, my 20th visit on your, on your show, and we talked about what's it going to take for New York to be able to come back. We have a $15 billion hole. We need that from the federal government. And Senator Schumer, who knows New York State better than anybody, 
He goes all 62 counties just like I do. He knows what this state needs, and he'll be in a position of power now. It's not just wishing we could get this done. It is being able to deliver with President Joe Biden, who also understands you can't starve the state and local governments when you're trying to get a vaccine in the arms of 330 million people, not once but twice. So we need more resources to offset our our losses, our financial hit that we took in order for us to be able to fund programs like the vaccine vaccine rollout, which is going to save this country. We get that into people's arms sooner. The sooner we come back, the yeah. sooner we can sooner we can supercharge our economy. So it's going to be very good having him in that position. So, Kathy, where are we in terms of the vaccination schedule? When will you and I be able to go and get inoculated? Uh, at least I'm going to assume that you are under the age of 75, so you'll not be in 1A, you're not in 1B. Uh, I would See think how that she the went general to Lisa population... and not me? Did you notice well, that? Well, she's going to assume. You know, I, I won't disabuse you of your notion. <laughs> Kathy, carry on. Tom, you'll be in the same category as I am, I'm sure, but, uh, which is not a, not a, <laughs> I'm not being a very good politician here, am I? You're killing it. <laughs> Who's the Republican in New York? <laughs> Carry on. Continue, please. We have, we have 1A people, the frontline health care workers, still being vaccinated in our hospitals. We've tripled the number of vaccines that have gone out just in the last week. So it all is a function of supply. So we get more vaccines, more people oh, get vaccinated. Come on, the federal government right now. Kathy, I'm going to cut you off. Kathy, I'm going to cut you off. This is so important. Peter Hotez of Baylor College of Medicine says we need to open up Yankee Stadium, and the only way we can do that is money, money, money. You Republicans, Democrats in every state don't have it. What do you need from the federal government to do a Hotez Yankee Stadium vaccination program? Oh, we, we will do that. We're going to open up the Javits Center. I mean, we can do Yankee there Stadium. There you go. The Javits Center. We, we already have plans for this, Tom. We have 3,672 locations identified. We simply have to get to our first category of health care workers done in a priority order. They go first. When it comes time for mass vaccinations, there is no limit to the locations we're going to do this. It'll be massive locations. What funding do you to, need from the Biden administration? Up. Come on, you got Democratic president. Fifteen Democratic billion dollars right now. You need one five fifteen billion to get this done. To get that done, but also to offset the loss in revenue, so we can continue to fund these workers. We don't want to have right. cutbacks for police, right. law enforcement, healthcare okay. workers, which is what we're facing in our budget in March. Lieutenant Governor, this so has we been. Can an get it done. We have a plan. Okay, we'll, this has been. We'll an, get it done. This has been an incredibly important uh, conversation. None of it matters. Bills, Colts, first time since 1995. Can your bills keep it going? Of course they can. The momentum is with us. You saw the energy, and guess what? We're going to actually have fans in the stands. We have accomplished the impossible this year, an amazing season, uh, lifting the spirits of people, not just in Buffalo, but all over the state. And I'm going to say this is America's new team. So America will be rooting for the Buffalo Bills this weekend as we have our first first playoff game at home in 25 years. So I'm really energized by this. It's going to be a great game. Lieutenant Governor, no doubt in the seventh row, 50-yard line as well. Kathy Hochul, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate that uh, this morning. The Russell 2000, John from Capri emails in and says, talk about Penn National Gaming, Caesars Entertainment, Plug Power, 
Sunrun. How about Darling Ingredients up 20% per year? A moonshot coming off of March for Darling Ingredients of Irvine, Tech, Irving, Texas. Yep. 10,000 employees. Good morning, Mr. Stuay, Randall Stuay. And in Darling Ingredients, they collect animal processing byproducts and used restaurant cooking oil. <laughs> That's the moonshot of the Russell 2000. That's the moonshot. I had not heard about it until you just sent it to me. Look at it. This has got a $10 billion market cap, uh, Tom. So this is this has been around. It's, it's sizable. And they're yeah. in the animal processing byproduct business. Tallow, <laughs> meat, bone meal. All the good things John uh, Golub uses every day. John Golub with Credit Suisse. This is an important conversation because of his view to 2021. John, before we get to tech and your view on the bigger market, how do you adapt and adjust to a small cap surge? You know, we, we just did a, a note on this in, in the consumer space. The, the small caps are a much better plays on reopening. And if you look at, um, you, know, you know, like for consumer discretionary, um, the, the big cap, you know, internet retailers are, are you know, very different than those mall retailers and restaurants and hotels that make up the small cap universe. And that's just one example on where yeah. I think there's real solid fundamentals here in the near term. I've got to get to your call, uh, John. It's literally an outlier. I believe you told us the last time you visited Stay With Tech. Is that true? It was, and, and you know, we, we just um, today, Tom, um, up our number for the broad market, but we also took what we call Tech Plus, the, all, the broadly defined tech basket, from overweight to neutral. Oh. And I did, that, I did that with such pain because <laughs> I, I, I'm such a believer that over the long run, you want to ride this trade hard. Okay, but during the reopening, I think they're going to be a source of capital. And this is what we love, folks, on yep. Bloomberg Surveillance. Real news from a major house, John Golub and Credit Suisse, with that shift. Do you, I mean, particularly if it's a taxable event, do you cash it in or do you just reallocate new funds away from whatever your tech disbelief is? You, you know, most of our clients are, are running tax-exempt um, money, so they're not worrying about yeah, okay. your pension Fair. plan or endowment. If you're an individual, the, if, if I believe that you're going to want to be in tech for the next two or three years, you don't want to pay a lot of taxes to make that switch in your portfolio. However, if you have new funds today, allocate them to things that are more cyclical um, that's that where you're going to get paid over the near yeah, term. Yeah, like the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> you know. So, Jonathan, so if, if I'm maybe taking a little off the table in tech or reallocating some capital, uh, am I jumping both feet into that cyclical reopening trade? Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, let me like kind of twist your question a little bit. Where do you play the reopening trade most effectively? And I don't think it's the stuff. It's not in the stuff that I just upgraded. The the, the areas I think they're going to be a big win are actually going to be in healthcare and financials. So and let me explain okay. quickly why for each. Um, a lot of us have not been to the dentist or to a doctor, and when we go back out there, um, you don't think about a healthcare company as being cyclical. But there's going to be companies that process your, your blood tests and, and you know, or, or people who have held up putting braces on their kids. All no. of those kinds of things get a big cyclical reopening jump, even though they're not really cyclical companies. The banks, if you have interest rates move up a little like they did today, if the credit environment improves because of these checks we're all going to get, people are going to pay their bills with that. Those are all really great for the banks. So while I'm moving up, 
your industrials and materials and energy, I'd still rather be in financials and healthcare in this environment. All right, Jonathan, one of the questions I have about this rotation trade, which has worked so well, and the folks that were on it, you know, kind of August, September were, were, were so prescient, is kind of the legs that it has. I know I could buy Amazon and Apple and stick them away for a decade and not have to think about the story. What's the historically, how long has this rotation into cyclicals typically lasted? Well, you know, it, it's, it's a funny thing. If, if you take a look at since, let's say, September 1st, um, and values beaten growth over that period, it all came down to four days only. The four days were the three days when you got big drug announcements from you know, Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, and the day that Janet Yellen was selected to head Treasury by, by Joe Biden. If you took those four days out, there's no value rotation here whatsoever. Okay. And I do think there's going to be a, 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 a cyclical trade, but it's going to be when you and I go and get airline tickets for our summer vacation because we realize that we're going to have, we're going to have been vaccinated. <laughs> that's, the, that's the mother of all trades. And the reason that I put this, this, the, the, made the change today is how close do you want to get to that May, June, July vaccine date for yourself before you rotate? The market's going to move ahead of that. My call today was don't be too cute. Don't wait till last minute because somebody else will have made money on the trade. And this is really, really important, John. I mean, the, the market always discounting them out. How far out is the market discounting now? July of this year or next year or the year following? Where's the reach now, the mental reach of the market? You know, Tom, I, it's the single biggest question that we're getting from the smartest hedge fund guys. Who do you think I got is, it from? You, how long do you wait? How long do you wait before that July event, before the market's going to discount it? Three months, six months. And if you're going to try to get too cute and try to time it perfectly, you're going to miss it. And if you wait for people to actually buy their concert tickets for a you know, music festival this summer, the trade is already over. So that's why we put it in now. Even though I'm probably a little bit early, I, I just think I have no choice but to, but to get in early. All right. Just give us a quick overview of valuation. We've seen this market just rocket up from the March lows without a commensurate increase in earnings. Should, those, should I be concerned? Um. No, I don't think you should be concerned on valuation, but here's what you have. At the beginning of the year, um, the year last year, you had the market was trading at an 18 multiple. At the end of the year, it was trading at a 22 and a half. Um, the peak in the internet period was like 25-ish. So the, the, this is a very high multiple, and it's also moved a lot. There's a whole bunch of reasons why I think that these multiples are going to stay and over time drift even higher. The first thing is there's a lot more tech in the market today than in the past, and those are higher PE names. It's just a mix of companies. That's number one. Number two, companies are doing a better job of generating cash flow from every dollar of earnings and sale. So you're actually getting uh, more money back from companies over time when you invested them. And number three, interest rates are, are a lot lower. And whether you look at that as a cost of capital yeah. for a company or lack of an alternative, all of those things say that multiples are going to stay in the 20s, probably drift higher over Interesting. Time. John uh, Golub, thank you so much for Credit Suites. Hugely valuable. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.